0: Welcome to the Alfred Health Emergency podcast. My name is uh, Dr. Mike Noonan. I'm an emergency physician at Alfred Health Emergency. And uh, today we're actually starting a fairly um, interesting and I think exciting uh, chapter for our Alfred Health Emergency podcasts. We're actually going to start a regular podcast um, talking about this thing that some of you may have heard of called COVID-19. And I've got two of my colleagues with me, um, two quite esteemed colleagues actually, um, Associate Professor uh, Dr. Jared O'Reilly uh, and also um, Dr. Rob Mitchell, who are two of my colleagues who work with me. Um, Dr. O'Reilly uh, and Dr. Mitchell both actually work in our emergency department and also have a long history in uh, global emergency care um, and are both keen researchers. Um, Jared's also, I think, the only PhD statistician that I know who's also an emergency physician, so he uh, is held in fairly high esteem by our um, colleagues in research around the world. So welcome, Jared, and welcome, Rob. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Rob.
1: Thanks, Mike. Great to be with you.
0: And we're going to talk about this um, project that we've all been involved with, actually. Uh, that's my disclosure for the beginning. But it's uh, quite an interesting project, I think, in terms of the emergency care for COVID-19 and um, in terms of the, the overall process, I might just get Jared to start off and, and talk about where this concept came from and, um, and then to talk through some of the, the details of that.
2: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, if we went back a month ago from today, uh, things were escalating and moving very quickly. Uh, and there was a lot of concern about our capacity in this country to deal with the expected surge in COVID cases. And uh, certainly, a lot of information coming out of the European context at the time, in particular, and then the US context. Uh, we were seeing a lot of uh, quite scary reports coming out of uh, intensive care units, particularly in uh, in Italy and other aspects of Western Europe. Uh, and we were concerned that we would be meeting the same challenges going forward. But the information we were getting was largely uh, ICU based, uh, and um. And certainly uh, there's lots of information that was uh, anecdotal as well. And we I could see, or we could see as a group uh, going forward, that there was going to be the situation here that we may, in the emergency department, not have much uh, information telling us what's happening as we go through the pandemic, uh, but getting some feedback once patients uh, get to other aspects of the department or die or go home from the public health setting. So we really needed... Some uh, agile, if you like, uh, information and tools coming back using prospective data on presenting COVID cases, Uh, that information coming back in a timely fashion on a week to two weekly basis, back to the clinicians who are working at the coalface, looking after COVID patients. And I think that was really the stimulus for getting the COVID project uh, commenced.
0: Thanks, Jared. Um, the uh, the name didn't even occur to me until I saw it on paper, but it's uh, the COVE-ED is a, a very nice acronym um, to fit into this. Tell us, um, in terms of the the data fields that um, that this is actually collecting and trying to feed back to the clinicians, where'd that information come from? Where, where were the concepts from that uh, developed?
2: So I think we... Wanted to be able to answer the questions that would be asked by clinicians, and this is quite a. This is not a um, intended as uh, primarily or even a, 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 as a research project. This uh, for publications. This is about informing the clinicians. So whatever data was collected and analysed had to, had to generate useful clinical tools um, using regression modelling. Um, uh, to provide information on the predictors of outcomes that would be important to the ED clinician. Now, one of those outcomes early on was, to, was who had COVID and who didn't. And so the, the data that needed to be collected clinically uh, and prospectively on patients was related to the features that we thought were associated with COVID and how these patients might um, be different to other COVID ni- other non-COVID-19 patients. And then to determine which of those uh, became uh, positive on their ED-based swab or PCR for COVID-19. The other things we wanted to know were, depending on how patients presented, in terms of their presenting complaint and also in terms of their comorbidities, what were their risk factors for requiring um, ICU care, and in particular being on a mechanical ventilator and being placed on that either in ED or soon after transit to the intensive care unit or intensive care unit beds as they would look at the time. And of course, what the survival to discharge from hospital looked like as well. And indeed, what it looked like for patients who were well enough to go home. We needed to know the predictors of those. And there's been various information coming from the China experience, the Western Europe experience, the New York experience, um, as to what patients look like, both in terms of who has COVID-19 and who doesn't, and also who needs a ventilator uh, and who doesn't, and for how long. And I think these were the questions we wanted to be able to uh, inform our own ED clinicians, at least at the Alfred and beyond, um, according to our own uh, epidemiology of COVID-19 that's presenting to emergency departments in Australia.
0: And I remember having those early conversations with you around this, Jared. and I think um, part of that design was also in my mind at least, to um, in fact uh, hide a, a data collection sheet behind a normal clinical record and um, in fact to make it um, as uh, acceptable to the clinician to be um, collecting data in a way that um, that we would actually uh, be able to then in the back end um, uh, actually render into something that was usable. Rob, did you want to talk through that part of, um, of how we iterated the project?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I mean, for this to be of um, clinical utility, uh, we need to design a process that um, helps clinicians to document the presenting complaints and comorbidities of patients presenting with COVID-19. But we also, as you mentioned, Mike, needed a a functional data collection tool. So, um, uh, as, as you know, we've gone through a process of developing uh, an electronic medical record form um, that is embedded with our, within our electronic medical record. We're using a, a CERNA system, uh, and we've encouraged all clinicians um, to use that particular form rather than a generic medical progress note whenever they are assessing a patient um, you know, who potentially has um, COVID-19 in their differential diagnosis. So I think we found that that, uh, that form, that template, has been an efficient way for clinicians to document um, the clinical findings relevant to that patient encounter. But it's also enabled us to, um, uh, to automate to some extent uh, the data collection um, for this particular uh, quality improvement project. Um, we, we sourced data for the, for, for the registry, for the COVID registry, from, from a couple of sources. Um we've been able to automate a lot of it from the electronic medical record system. So information such as um uh what's what is the patient's age and, and how did they arrive to the emergency department, were they admitted to the intensive care unit, were they placed on a mechanical ventilator and if so for how long? Um uh, some of that data is 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 automated through a reporting system that our data and analytics team have, have helped us to develop. Uh, and then some of it relies on manual data entry from a series of data collectors who review the medical records for all patients with suspected um, uh, COVID-19. Uh, and then all of that data is in, inputted into a, a database we're using the REDCap platform. Um, some listeners might be familiar with that. And that seems to be working well for us so far.
0: Thanks very much, Rob. Um I haven't mentioned at the start um, uh, this process but um, this is actually all um, captured in uh, a document which is now um, live as a journal article, uh, very graciously actually put on um, by Emergency Medicine Australasia as a free open access article um, in their most recent um, COVID-19 series And, and you'll find um, that the protocol is actually um, in detail there. Um, tell us, Jared. there was a lot of discussion um, amongst our group around also hoping to um, uh, bring this uh, to bear for many emergency departments around Australia so that we could actually collect um, bigger uh, data sets to be able to analyse this. Tell us a little bit about that part of the journey.
2: Yes, well, there's been a, an enormous will uh, amongst emergency care stakeholders and, uh, in, in fact, uh, health systems and hospitals to be engaged in this. We've reached out uh, to a number of hospitals across uh, Victoria and indeed uh, interstate, um, and we've started some uh, collaborations by which hopefully in the, in the next couple of weeks, in addition to the data that's being analysed uh, from our own site, there will be, an our own network, there will be data uh, inputted into the same registry, uh, collected at other sites across um, Victoria, number one, and, uh, and interstate. So that's our hope. There's a, there's a few uh, things to tick off there, but there's certainly the, the will and there's certainly been a lot of energy and enthusiasm from emergency clinicians uh, across, across Victoria and indeed Australia. So um, there's some processes to go through. There's been some rapid uh, but rigorous ethics approval processes. Um, There needs to be some data inputting in each of the sites. Um, But we're in a position to facilitate that because it's happening uh, in our site now. So we feel well set up and well founded now that we can support with our clinical emergency medical record. We can support with um, the REDCap registry and inviting people to submit data to that. Um, and we, so we just need to get through, and ethics is created such that uh, people can, uh, can join and be part of a, a, a bigger information resource for emergency clinicians as this pandemic really keeps on burning for, for up to six months or more. Um, and so uh, we're very close to making some multi-site uh, approach, which is, uh, which is very exciting for being able to inform clinicians on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I find it amazing looking back um, that really it was only five weeks ago that um, we started on a bigger journey in our hospital to manage what we thought um, at that stage was uh, was going to be a public health disaster really to, um, to frame the position at that stage. Um, And just the ability of emergency care clinicians um, in our hospital, at least anyway, to lead many of the processes that were going on around the hospital, I've been um, constantly amazed by. um, Much of the work um, around this project happened, um, I would suggest within a week, um, the usual process and timelines that would take many months to actually get through have, um, have been compressed and everyone's been uh, working together amazingly well um, across different groups and platforms around this. Um, Rob, would you be able to talk to that process and just um, when we started and just talk through our journey? We're now the 23rd of April, so we're a little way into our journey. Um, and, um, and just for potentially other hospitals who may be thinking about this to talk them through what we've gone through to actually get this through in our own organisation?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Well, I'm a, you've already made the point that um, when we started on this journey, uh, I, I think we all uh, feared that the early experiences of COVID 19 in Australia were going to be uh, much worse than what has eventuated. Um, you know, and clearly we're in a much better position than many other countries across the globe. Um, but like you, I've been really impressed with all of the effort that's happened in parallel to. Uh, prepare us clinically for a potential surge of patients, um, but also to, to collect data on it, obviously. I mean, the education and training team at our facility has been working over time to get people up to speed, um, you know, with infection prevention and control requirements um, uh, respiratory management and ventilation strategies, you know, modified ALS process. There's been a huge amount of activity um, happening around that and the levels of collaboration have been absolutely fantastic. That, that's not just at our facility. I mean, I think that's across the board Um you know, cross cross sectors, uh, across disciplines, um, at college level, um, at uh, organisational and health service level, um, that the extent of collaboration and communication has been really, really impressive. So this this project is really just one piece of um, our internal response um, to COVID nineteen. But um, as Jared mentioned earlier, you know, we decided from the outset that um, to have for us to have a dynamic and re- robust response. Um, uh, we really wanted some timely data um, that reflected the outcomes of, of the patients presenting to, to our facility, to our context, and we want to be able to use that to guide our decision-making, particularly um, uh, if it came um, to an overwhelming uh, surge and overwhelming demands for care from for patients, uh, so d- just practically what what that looked like is an ethics application was rapidly developed along with a, a research protocol. Um, we pursued a collaboration with with Monash University um, uh, to get a red the RedCap database platform um, up, up to scratch. Uh, some of our team members work with our electronic medical record team to embed that clinical form. Um, in our, our clinical documentation uh, processes and then we've been working with the data and, and analytics team at our hospital to um, automatically export um, a lot of the, the key variables into that redcap database um, uh, to um, you know to make sure that we have a complete data set in a, in a timely manner one of the other interesting th- things that I've um, you know I, I think has been a very positive byproduct of this experience is that we've recruited a couple of medical students to help us um, as You know, many clinicians who are listening will know um, there's been a lot of changes to the. our rotation allocations for medical students, and in fact, some of them were a bit of a loss because they were uh, previously allocated to high-risk environments, which is thought not to be uh, appropriate. So, um, you know, a couple of extra medical students have, our, have now joined our uh, team for a rotation that's a, it's a clinic, uh, an integrated clinical and research uh, rotation for them. They spent half their time uh, on the floor seeing non-COVID patients, and they spent half the time assisting uh, Mean Jared and the rest of the team. Um, with with the data entry and reporting for this particular process. Um, and again that's been a, a very positive experience so
0: far. Thanks very much, Rob. Just in terms of timelines, um, how many weeks now have uh, has this process been going from um, from go to woe?
1: Uh, well, we're about two weeks into our data collection um, and hopefully in, in the next podcast uh, that follows on we can uh, present some of that initial data. I mean, I think it's fair to say that we, we thought we would have a lot more confirmed cases than, um, than what we what we do, um, and that's obviously a fantastic position to be in. But I still think the the data we, um, you know, extremely um, useful and interesting. Um, so uh, we're currently analysing the um, the data from the from the second week uh, of the COVID registry, and we'll, we'll have that uh, to be able to report on soon.
0: Now, um, both Jared and Rob are very experienced um, researchers, uh, as uh, as opposed from myself. But what what sort of um challenges have you specifically found with this project, Jared, that um that other groups who may be actually thinking about taking this on maybe uh, may actually find?
2: Uh I think what's been surprising is how little challenge there's been. There's certainly lots of um boxes to tick, but uh the nature of the pandemic, as we were saying before, has been such cooperation. So I. It's often that researchers are working in, um, in a fairly isolated environment, they focus on a research question and produce papers for publication, and they collaborate amongst with other researchers. Um, but this has uh, been unique, and I think it's important that we've, uh, we've had some collaboration across the clinical space uh, to begin with, and that's the emergency clinicians, those who are dealing at the, in, with the leadership, with the operational changes in the department. Um, and with the IT side, um, in, in, uh, including the emergency physicians that are involved in that, and also the quality improvement, so all of these people have been engaged from the get go, um, and that's working. That's uh, which which is a, which is a great delight, and I think a really important model going forward. Certainly, something that I've learnt, which is um, sort of uh, hasn't been a challenge in a sense. It's just, and, and may in fact make this all the more useful going forward. Um, so uh, more positives than uh, than barriers at this point, and I and I think uh, you know the fact sh- certainly that uh, everyone was on the same page, uh, interdisciplinary, uh, across departments, and uh, in fact across organisations, across states. I, th- I think that momentum has been huge to really lessen the barriers. So th- there's a bunch of resources that we're in a position to to share with others who who want to jump on board and get engaged in this. Um, Uh, and and hop on this fast-moving train.
0: With that in mind, Gerard, uh, if I'm a clinician working in an emergency department in Australia and I'm keen to get involved and share some data, um, what would be the way uh, that I'd go about that?
2: I think you contact us directly.
0: So uh, um,
2: uh, you can contact us by email, you can contact us by phone, you can contact us through the Alfred, you can contact uh, any three of us that you're hearing right now. Uh, with the details that will come with this recording. And, um, and we will happily navigate uh, with you um, through the, the various steps, which might seem onerous at the beginning, but in fact um, uh, can be easily managed and there's lots of templates out there and we've got some resources that can be uh, copied and modified for, for one's own sites. Um, so just get in touch with us uh, at your earliest convenience and we'll, we'll help you through. We'll be patient and we'll go at your pace. But uh, if you want to be in a hurry, we'll we'll be able to assist as well.
1: Uh, The other thing I think to to mention is that we've we've made some of those resources, including a case report form and the data dictionary, uh, and and an example of our electronic medical record uh, form available on the web. Um, That's at emergencyeducation.org.au. If you go to emergencyeducation.org.au and then click on uh, Research and COVID Project, those resources are available free online.
0: Great, thanks very much, Rob and Jared. And having been uh, on the other end of receiving some um, excellent assistance with research from both uh, Jared and Rob over over my time at the Alfred, I would uh, attest to their uh, abilities to be able to help the non researcher. Um, as already mentioned, um, the uh, the protocol is actually live currently on the uh, EMA, the um, Emergency Medicine Australasia website, um, and that journal has actually got a specific. COVID-19 series that's running currently. And um, that protocol is actually free and open access. So uh, obviously anyone can go there uh, to look at that directly. Um, And in addition, as um, Jared already mentioned, we'll actually add those links into the show notes so that you have those at the end of this and you can refer back. Now, I know that both of you are data and research people. And outside of Covid. Um, what are uh, what um, other work is uh, is interesting you in the area of data and uh, and COVID nineteen at the moment, Rob?
1: Uh, well, uh, as a broad comment, I mean, there's a huge amount of research that is is happening at the moment. It's it's quite incredible, really, um, and I think medical publishers have been uh, pretty responsive to. Um, you know, getting that um, that data and those research findings uh, out for public consumption. I think it's fair to say that all of it's been of uh, of high high quality. And so, and a lot of it in preprint, so uh, you know hasn't gone through the, the usual rigorous peer review processes. So, you do need to read it with that lens. Um, but I think it's been um, you know exciting to see um, you know the the different experiences uh, published, uh, different case series uh, emerge um, uh, in you know, through through the literature. Um, you, you've mentioned that um, the, the protocol for this paper is, is available up on the EMA website, and I know that EMA has just started a virtual issue focused uh, on COVID-19. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that we see some other interesting perspectives from uh, Australian New Zealand EDs there. Um, there's one other article uh, up there at the moment that focuses, for instance, on clinical and ethical challenges for emergency uh, departments during COVID-19 and makes some um, comparisons uh, and reflections uh, based on experience during uh, Ebola virus disease. Um, you know, I think that's one example of an article which um, you know illustrates um, and hypothesizes some of the challenges uh, that will be faced uh, over the next three to six months. You know, for instance, as it highlights concerns from um, previous epidemics around. Uh, access to PPE and around the importance um, of public health authorities and hospital executives engaging with uh, clinicians on the front line to develop their operational responses um, uh, to to the pandemic. It's a perspective article, um, but I think has some u- useful reflections that are uh, you know relative, re- um, you know relevant to consider at, at at this unprecedented time.
0: Thanks very much, Rob. Yeah, no, I think. Um, There's so much to learn from this and other experiences that um, that that it will no doubt be fodder for um, many uh, months and years to come uh, coming from COVID-19. As I think yourself uh, mentioned before, Rob, um, we're extraordinarily um, lucky, I think is the right word in Australia, to have actually been able to, at this stage at least, control The healthcare impacts of this pandemic locally, and um, some of that is very interesting uh, when we're looking at the previous modelling and the data that's actually come out from our governmental organisations, and when we compare that to other jurisdictions. Um, Jared, what is your thought on um, on what you're seeing in I suppose our own area of uh, of Australasia um, in COVID nineteen and and um, you know looking at those numbers as a number person, um, what are your thoughts around what the next few months will bring for us? Uh, uh,
2: there's many people with some opinions on this, uh, with um, <laughs> who have delved in and uh, and always with disclaimers about uh, what the truth is and the fact that there's a variety of models. Um, I've, I've never of, known you done.
0: not to want to um, share your opinion, Dr. O'Reilly. So. <laughs>
2: so I think uh, a strange time ago, I'm um, gratified to see the, um, the response from the public. Uh, and I think we've been protected as uh, uh, emergency care workers for the, for the time being. We're, we've been given a chance to get ready and be prepared um, because the public health uh, initiatives have been well-considered and well-modelled and, and, um, and timely. And so I'm, I'm uh, we're very grateful for that because uh, even as uh, clinicians and researchers, we had fear of what this would look like after we saw what was coming from other parts of the world. I think that there'll be a, a wax and wane of um, restrictions uh, to allow people to have some aspect of normality in their lives over the course of the next six months. And those waxing and wanings, if you like, will result in waxing and wanings in the opposite direction um, with respect to the number of cases and therefore the number of patients requiring ventilators and the number of uh, potential deaths. Uh, so that'll be a, a tightrope uh, balancing act over a period of time. And I think uh, um, the longer this goes in some ways, the better it is in terms of any acute surge in demand on, on uh, access to critical care services and hospitals indeed. Um, But it will go on for some time. And uh, that's what we brace ourselves for. And I don't think things will ever look normal again.
0: Yeah, I think it's um, a very interesting time that we all live in. Um, No doubt everyone listening has gone through a very similar journey to um, what myself, Jared and Rob have gone through, um, where we've, uh, I suppose, imbibed all the data and information coming from other areas that have not been so fortunate as to have had this um, experience uh, of knowing prior to actually the disease uh, running right in their own country, and I'm, I'm thinking of Italy and um, obviously uh, other European countries, and uh, and now the experiences that we're seeing coming out of um, the United States and the UK, um, it's uh, uh, it's frightening really to see how things have actually been um, managed at various levels differently and what those different outcomes have actually been for those countries. Um, so as you mentioned, Jared, we're, I think, very fortunate in our own country. Um, but I think this has changed not only the fabric of society, but also the the um, fabric of how we actually interact in the hospital and potentially actually how we we manage research. Um, I mean, my question as a non-researcher to um, two to, uh, very esteemed researchers uh, that I'm talking to is really around the utility of, I suppose, what uh, could be bandied about as, as big data in this. I mean, we have so many, N is often the, the biggest um, uh, problem, I suppose, in research, getting the, the numbers to actually be able to infer any sort of causality from those. We're in a um, situation at the moment with COVID-19, where we can actually um, almost rapidly iterate based on those high numbers. Um, uh, But that's my non-researcher look at things. Uh, For for Rob and Joe, what do you think um, uh, that ability to actually see uh, large numbers um, will do to our ability to infer, I suppose, um, Best treatments and and best managements out of this COVID nineteen situation.
2: Um, if I can answer, Mike. I th- look, I think the numbers uh, will answer part of the question. As numbers will only increase, they won't decrease. Um, so, after a few more, uh, several more weeks, and uh, plus plus or minus another month or so, we will have a numbers that will inform a lot of what happens after that, and we'll have the Opportunity with big data, I guess, as you call it, is to modify what we're collecting, uh, modify um, the tools and the predictive models that might come out of that 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 help the clinician going forward and help the clinician understand um, how their patient that they're seeing fits into the whole situation, what they're at risk of in terms of the disease or not, and what they're at risk of if they do have COVID nineteen in terms of what therapies they require, their outcomes, and um, and what in Uh, whether they need ventilation or not in the ICU. So I I think that's what big data allows us to do. But we have to be very careful that it just doesn't become about uh, asking questions of big data. This is the risk with big data. We ask questions that um, aren't the questions necessarily that clinicians want to answer. And so we need to hopefully, uh, well, the intention with this particular project, the COVID project, uh, is to come back to the clinicians and say, are we, asking the right question. Are we collecting the right data? Is the right data in the EMR form? Would you like to add some other clinical predictors of COVID status or of severity of illness or outcome? Um, Would you like to remove some, like epidemiological features that are no longer important at some point? And uh, what would you like us to change and how would you like us to represent that data? And as a researcher, I'll, uh, I'll be in a position to learn lots from others as to how uh, a table or a graph might be improved to get the message across uh, to ED clinicians. Uh, so it can be actually helpful to them.
0: Now, I think it's a really interesting um, uh, observation that you make, Jordan. And I think the um, for me, this is, I've not really ever been part of a project that actually intertwines research with clinical informatics um, and also quality improvement um, in, in such a an intertwined way, and and perhaps this is something that we'll learn out of not only this project, but out of uh, multiple similar projects happening in different areas around the world um, uh, that are related to to COVID-19. Rob, for um, I suppose this project... uh, what can clinicians listening to this expect to get out of this in terms of an output? Um, will there be a, a regular um, paper coming out about it or some regular feedback that they can actually um, delve into themselves um, and, uh, and actually get some information from? How, how will they actually access the data, I suppose?
1: Yeah, great question, Mike. I mean, we hope to work with uh, EMA to regularly um, uh, publish uh, reports and findings from this particular uh, project. Um, uh, I don't have a specific timeline for the first one of those, but uh, that shouldn't be uh, too far away, uh, we hope. Um, we also will will endeavour to make as much uh, information freely available via that emergencyeducation.org uh, au website uh, as as well um, uh, as you know Mike we've got a plan to um, continue this this podcast and as more sites come online um, with this, this with this particular project then um, hopefully we can gather some insights from people who are working in um, other facilities uh, and in other other contexts for their insights for how their um, eds are ramping up to manage um, you know potential surge of of COVID nineteen. Uh, patients, going forward though, um, and to go back to your earlier question and Jared's response, so you know I think this project provides a, a template for us to think more broadly about how we can develop emergency care registries, um, how we can um, uh, prospectively collect um, high quality data that can be used for uh, a whole range of uh, quality in improvement and, and research projects, um, particularly so we can. Um, Generate data relevant to a whole range of clinical presentations and present to patients, I think, um, a risk based uh, data. Based on patients in in similar situations, so um, I know that that sounds very abstract at the moment, but I, I think um, this collaboration between researchers, clinicians, those with a focus on clinical informatics, etc., um, you know, will potentially open up um, a whole range of opportunities for us to um, you know collect data in a timely way uh, and use that um, in a very patient centred way to uh, help patients um, make informed decisions about their emergency healthcare.
0: Yeah, thanks very much, Rob. I think it's, uh, it's interesting times at the moment and no doubt ahead, so um, as you mentioned, we hope to put this podcast out on a regular basis and um, uh, we'll be joining you with some data next time um, and uh, we'll be able to see what this, uh, this project is actually um, leading towards in terms of that, that information feeding back to the clinician. For those listening, um, please look at the protocol um, on uh, EMA and look at the other um, excellent articles that have come out of of EMA recently around um, the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, Having that local flavour I think is very important based on the fact that we are receiving a lot of information from other countries at the moment and knowing what's happening locally I think is key to our, uh, our quality practice. Um, I'll leave you there. Thank you very much, Jared, and thank you very much, Rob, and we hope to um, meet again soon. Cheers, Mike. Uh,
2: thank you, Mike, and thanks, Rob, and thanks to everybody. But that's, and there's been a lot of people that have uh, done a lot of hard work for this project. So, um, and I think it'll pay off. So, so thanks very much for the opportunity to talk to it.
0: Absolutely. All right. Have a good day, guys. Thanks again. Cheers.